Hey Mountain. Thank you, Jared. I am now awake. No worries. It's good to be with you today. Welcome, welcome. Let's say a welcome to all of our friends joining us online and at our Edgewood campus at Aberdeen and Abingdon here at Mount Road. It's great to be with you today. Yes, my name's Hillary. I'm on our equipping team here at Mountain. And part of my job is I get to see over our internships and residency programs, which is super, super fun. And I wanted to let you know, we actually have three new interns joining us this week. So can we give them a big, more mountain welcome to? They're going to spend the whole semester with us learning and growing, and part of their time here is they're going to continue in their college classes, and those classes are actually open to anybody in the mountain community. You don't have to take them for credit. You just come and you sit and enjoy them. They're called Milligan at Mountain Classes. Maybe you've heard about them or seen them on our website. You can read all about them at mountaincc.org Milligan. I'll actually be teaching one of those classes on Monday nights, and I just want to invite you, if you're enjoying this series and you're ready to, you know, maybe want to continue diving deeper into God's Word. Check out one of those classes, the one I'm teaching on Mondays, is Spiritual Formation for Missional Living. I would love for you to join me as we continue to seek God's word together. So check that out. It'll be good. It'll be good. You know, these classes are just one of the ways that we can continue to dive deeper into scripture, to seek God's word together, and to seek that wisdom that God is calling us to. That's what we've been doing this whole series, Making Life Work, looking at the book of Proverbs, just wanting some wisdom that should be common sense, but is oh so common in the world that we live in today. And I don't know about you, but I have found it so helpful and timely and important and good. And I've just really, really, really loved this title, Making Life Work, because that's what we all want, isn't it? To make life work. And it got me thinking about the, a game I used to play as a kid. Maybe you played it too, the board game of life. Yeah? Anybody? I was the only one. There you go. Yeah, we played the board game of life. I didn't actually own this game, but my cousin did. So every time we went to her house, we were playing the board game of life. And this is how you played the game of life. You went around the board trying to get the most stuff or get the best stuff. You wanted the dream job, the dream car, the dream family, and the most cash in your pocket. You're trying to get all the success and the status and security and come to the end of the game with it all. That's how you won. That was the promise of joy and peace you were going to get if you won. Maybe, probably, unintentionally instilling in little kids that the winners of life are the ones who have it all. And I think it's kind of funny, maybe a little striking to think that some of us still move through life like we're elementary kids competing at a fictitious board game. We're chasing after success, thinking that's what brings joy and peace. So we're trying to win at life like it's some type of game. If I just work harder and I fight longer and I use all of my strength and all of my power, I can make this work. I can be first. Pursuing what I think is best, what I want the most, getting whatever I need more of to get in first place, whether that's more control, more pleasure, more money, more acceptance. I'm going to come out on top. I am going to win I'm going to have the joy and peace I'm hungry for. But life isn't a board game. It's a gift to be cherished, a journey to be shared with one another. Life is not a board game. It's a precious treasure to be stewarded well and ultimately surrendered. Life is not a board game. And trying to make it one is no way to make life work. 
While the game of life might have us sitting in colorful little cars moving along an attractive path, competing for success and status and security with the false promises of joy and peace, trying to construct our identity all rooted in winning, scripture paints a much different picture of life altogether. God's word offers a different perspective on identity and how to live with true joy and peace that I think we're all desperately hungry for. You know, the modern game of life was constructed in the 60s, but the idea of winning at life, trying to figure out how to make it work, is an age-old quest people have been after since the beginning of time. In fact, many people were asking Jesus these very same questions. How do I win? How do I make all this work? What is the most important thing for me in this life? And what Jesus does is he invites us to broaden our perspective away from thinking about ourselves. And he says the greatest thing, two things you can do in your life are to love God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. And what wisdom is is seeking to live a life just like that. But what about all the success? and the status and the security that the world is just waving in my face. Don't I need to chase after those? Isn't that the key to joy and peace? Y'all, I think Jesus really wants to help us make life work. To live a life filled with a deep sense of purpose, pursuing righteousness, furthering God's kingdom. Not to live a life marked by bitterness and resentment and discontentment, but those things are sure to come if we treat life like it's a board game with our identity hinged on winning. You see, we have two big enemies that are trying to trick us into thinking that way. Two enemies that are trying to convince us that life is a game to be won, and that's threatening our joy and our peace. These two enemies are essentially the antithesis of the greatest commandments Jesus has given us to love God and to love others. They leave us discontent and resentful and bitter. They distort our reality. These two enemies have the power to destroy all of our relationships, demolish our self-worth, steal our joy, and leave our lives utterly wrecked. These two enemies will get you the spot if you think you're winning the board game. But in reality, they stand in complete opposition to God's design for the world, his hope for humanity. And sadly, these two enemies are the easiest traps to fall into that none of us are immune from. Once you get a little taste, they are oh so sweet, but they are deadly. But you can't help but want more and more. And before we know it, we find ourselves in big trouble. None of us want to be in this place, but all of us are battling these two enemies every single day, fighting for our lives, y'all. And you want to guess what they are? It's our envy and our pride. Envy and pride. It's our envy and pride. They're not the same things, but they are closely connected. That's why we're talking about them today. Envy and pride can both lead to and be a symptom of a distorted view of identity. Pride has you convinced you know how to win the game. And envy turns everyone else into a competitor to be dominated. Pride says, I don't need help with the game of life. I've got it all figured out. And envy leaves you just bitter and resentful because everyone else's game of life looks better than your own. Envy and pride are like each other's best friends and where one is, the other is easily going to follow. And when they're allowed to run loose, they're gonna wreak some havoc. They have the power to suck life out of everything. Where there is envy and pride, there can be no joy and peace. Thankfully, the book of Proverbs is filled with God's guidance on wisdom. 
on how to defeat envy and pride before they defeat us. Defeat envy and pride before they defeat us because that's what they want to do. So we're going to take a look at envy first because that just sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sometimes envy is used interchangeably with the word joy, but Webster defines it as this. Envy, it's that painful feeling of wanting what someone else has. It's a discontented longing for someone else's advantages. Envy, at least to me, is like a strong word. Like, I don't want you to think that I'm an envious person. You don't want others to think you're an envious person. But how often do I find myself wanting and wishing I had what someone else has? Maybe you've heard it too. That soft little whisper like the devil on your shoulder that says, "Mm, look what they have. It's nice. I wish I had that. I wish I looked like that. I wish people liked me like that. And those little thoughts lead to more questions and more longings. How do they make so much money? I wish I had a job like that. Gosh, they are so fit. How can I look like that? When everyone, when that person walks into the room, everyone lights up. How can people respond to me like that? Oh, that person got a new car. His girlfriend is perfect. Their kids never get in trouble. Their home is immaculate. He's so smart. She's so nice. Why can't I have all of those things and be all of those things too? You see, you take one little taste of envy and a craving is instantly formed and discontent finds a new home in your heart and it becomes really easy to wish we have what everyone else has instead of being content with the blessings right in front of us. There's an ancient Jewish story that illustrates the power of envy. It goes like this. One day there's an angel who visits a shopkeeper and the shopkeeper in his town, he's known for his envy of his rival competitor. They're at odds. And an angel comes to him and he says, you know, I'm going to give you anything you want, but here's the one condition. Your rival is going to get twice as much as what I give you. And so that shopkeeper thinks for a minute. And finally, he says, you know what I want? I want to be blind in one eye. Because he wanted his rival to suffer even more. That's the heart of envy, y'all. It might start out small and not seem like a really big deal, but in reality, it's a disposition that is so self-centered that it can't rejoice when someone else succeeds and it wishes someone else to suffer harm. And our culture has conditioned us to think this way since we were children. Countless fairy tales and storylines reveal this truth. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The evil queen's ready to squash out the threat of Snow White's beauty. My girl, Taylor Swift, and all her lyrical genius isn't even immune to envy. Why does everybody else seem like the sexy baby and I'm the monster on the hill? One of HBO's most popular shows just came to a close. It was Secession. Maybe you watched it. And it was just a whole hot mess of a dysfunctional family who had a big lust for greed and power, and they were so envious of one another. They had no idea how to function together. And hundreds of thousands of us love to watch it. You know, even on the first pages of scripture, we see envy rip apart a family as Cain kills his brother Abel in a jealous fury because he can't stomach the idea that Abel's offering found more favor with God than his did. And so he killed him. 
That is the heart of envy. Following the path of envy just leads us to playing a comparison game instead of having compassion for people. You're gonna become resentful instead of joyful. It makes us entitled instead of grateful. And we don't have to look too far to see the places where envy poisons our hearts. And if I'm honest, we can point to those moments where we haven't been able to experience true joy and find happiness for someone when we hear about their good news. And that can just lead us feeling shameful, especially when it's someone we love and we can't feel joy for them because we really wish we were in their place. We wish it was us instead. And the poison spreads as the devil whispers, I wish. I know what he whispers to me. What does he whisper to you? I wish I had more confidence. I wish I owned his boat. I wish I had more followers. I wish I could live in a place as nice as that. I wish I had a spouse like that. And you start thinking in those ways, and it's subtle but oh so sinful. It's the way of thinking that the New Testament author James tells us is worldliness, or what Proverbs says is straight up foolishness. James in chapter three says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life and their good deeds done in humility. That's what comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. That wisdom does not come from heaven. It's actually earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you're gonna find disorder in every evil practice. King Solomon warns about this over and over again throughout Proverbs. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. Don't for a minute envy careless rebels. Soak yourself in the fear of God instead. That's where your future lives. Envy is just gonna lead you with an armload of nothing. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, it's gonna rot our bones. I gotta be honest with you, I didn't think envy was something that I really uh, struggled with, or maybe I thought I was just in denial struggling with it until recently. That's been kind of a weird season for me coming to that realization and finding myself with a pattern of thinking um, that just didn't feel like me, and I didn't like where it was heading, and um, slowly there was a trickle of discontentment that was taking root in me, and that was a really hard reality to face. In the spirit of transparency with you, my postpartum journey was kind of hard. It wasn't super fun. Uh, and my beloved husband, Zach, who is the realist in our family, would say, yeah, it was really, 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 really hard for her. There's, you know, biology and hormones. I'll spare you all that. But my pattern of thought started to become more susceptible to the lives of Satan. And I found myself in a not very okay place. You know, I, I absolutely, full-heartedly, more than anything, love being a mom. And I absolutely, full-heartedly love the work I get to do. I see it as a privilege. And I, and I worked full-time after our daughter was born. That was a choice uh, my husband and I made together. But in that new season with a new baby and everything's changing, and I watched a lot of my friends uh, stay at home, uh, it started to really impact me, and I began to play the comparison game. Maybe you've played it too. I became envious of my friends who had family nearby to help because we didn't, which led me to becoming envious of my sister who lives right down the street from my mom. I became envious of my friends who seemed to be in better financial situations, who had more resources, because surely that's how you make things easier when you're navigating new challenges of parenthood. 
envious of people who now seem to have unlimited amounts of time to do fun things, like go to the movies or go out shopping or to brunch with their fancy avocado toast and doing all these things that I didn't really even want to be doing, didn't really even like to do, but I wish I was doing it with them. I was becoming angry and really frustrated at all the different opinions out there on how to be a working parent, navigating the fear of constant judgment from others and always questioning myself, am I doing the right thing? Which of course, letting you see my pride and getting ahead of myself here. Found myself envious of all the people buying those homes on Zillow that I would see when I would just scroll way too long for way too late at night. Becoming envious of my own husband who seemed to uh, navigate this new parenthood work-life balance thing a whole lot better than I was doing. And where that path was lead, I wasn't sure, but I was really scared to find out. And it's not fun to wake up and find myself in a cage of discontentment that I built around my own heart. Envy is a dangerous drug stronger than the most lethal poison. Envy is going to rot your bones. And no one wants to be there. No one wants to feel self-pity or discontentment, but that's what envy does. If you think you're playing the board game of life with envy in the driving seat, you're not going to achieve the true, the true joy that you're really hungry for. Psalm 73 portrays this so beautifully. For me and my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist goes on to name how he sees all the people around him who are prospering. The ones who seem to be winning at the game of life, even those who are wicked. And he's thinking, I want to be like that. I'm longing for success. But the truth is, the grass is never greener on the other side. Nothing fills the longing our envy is trying to mask. And he remembers finally what he knows to be true. He says, I am always with you. God, you're holding me by your right hand. You're guiding me with your counsel. Afterwards, you're gonna take me up into your glory. Whom I have in heaven but you. The earth has nothing I desire but you, God. My flesh and my heart, they're gonna fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. When we're too busy being envious, we forget that God has already given us everything we need. He's the strength of our hearts, our portions forever. You see, envy is gonna distort how we see other people. It dehumanizes us, it separates us, it places me against you, it makes us adversaries and competitors. I can only win if I am better than you, and if you are better than me, then that makes me a loser. We can't share in each other's joys because I have tied my happiness to your downfall and my success to your failure. And if I don't win, then who am I? But that is not at all God's design for the world. Life is not a game. So we gotta change the way we think about one another. We have to remember that we're all created in the image of God. We are brothers and sisters united with Christ. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't love them when we're envious of them. So what's the secret to combating envy? If envy is robbing me of my joy, how do I get my joy back? And it starts with this, it starts with gratitude, gratitude, being grateful. It might sound a little cliche and a little underwhelming, but hear me out, 
Just like envy spreads, so does gratitude, but in a much more healing and beautiful way. Paul says this over and over again in his New Testament letters. He's like, I know what it's like to have everything and to be without everything, to have nothing. And you just got to pray continuously, give thanks always, and rejoice. Gratitude is a prayer and a posture. It brings us back to reality of what is true, what is right in front of us, who is right in front of us. It brings us back to remembering who God is and God's love for us. At least that's what God is showing me through my own journey. As God is continuing to redeem me from a discontented and envious spirit, he's reminding me there's so much to be thankful for. I'm learning to soak in the gift of today. From being here right now with you, the moments where I have with the people I love, stopping to give thanks when I see something beautiful, like birds at my bird feeder, or the beautiful pinks and oranges that were in this morning's sunrise. Choosing gratitude every time I clean up a mess or find Cheerios in my shirt or rewash the same cup for the 500th time today because it won't be like this forever. I have to cherish it right now. Grateful for technology that allows me to FaceTime with my family who is far away. And when I start to feel jealous or I start to feel sorry for myself, my prayer is, Lord, redirect my thoughts. Help me remember what is true. When I am feeling lonely, I remember you. The community we have here together, this place, mountain, a place that is a home. We're called to carry one another's burdens, to pray for one another. We're the family of God and we never are alone. There's so much to be thankful for and you have every single one of those things to be thankful for too. Let's practice gratitude because it'll help lessen the grip that envy wants to have on our hearts and it'll move us to a deeper sense of joy with Jesus. Defeating envy starts with practicing gratitude, which will lead us to a deeper sense of joy. That's it. We gotta defeat envy by practicing gratitude because that will lead us to true joy. But that's just one of the two enemies that trick us into thinking this is all just a game. We gotta face the other one now, which is also really fun to do. It's where we meet Envy's best friend, pride. Pride. Am I the only one that struggles with that maybe? It's kinda easy to point out the unhealthy side of pride in other people, isn't it? You know, the loud, arrogant know-it-all, maybe borderline narcissist who walks into the room with their chest puffed up, taking charge, dominating everything in their wake. Does someone come to mind when you think of that description? If no one does, could that person be you? Prideful people always have the answers and they want you to know it. They're gonna share their opinions even if you do not ask. Of course their way is the best way. It's the only way, it's the way you win the game. Usually that's the caricature that pops in my head when I think about pride. But I don't think that's the full picture. Pride manifests itself in a lot of different ways, more secretive ways. And just like envy, none of us are immune to an inflated sense of pride. Sometimes I do think I can be one of the most prideful people I know. But the word pride isn't necessarily negative or harmful. Having a healthy sense of pride is good. It's nothing wrong. Like I'm proud of the work I did today or I'm proud of you for overcoming a great fear. It's a feeling of satisfaction that something has been achieved and accomplished and it's super connected to our sense of dignity. But like our ego, our pride is there to protect that image we want other people to see. 
And so that's when our unhealthy sense of pride arises. That is the pride Proverbs warns us about. The pride that shows up in the places we're actually really insecure. While healthy pride is marked with self-respect and self-assurance, an unhealthy sense of pride or an inflated pride is rooted in our distorted sense of identity. Pride doesn't just look like arrogance or boastful behavior. It also looks like a false sense of humility, trying to appear humble in order to achieve praise. And more often than not, that distorted sense of identity leads pride to mask our biggest fears. I think pride actually looks a lot more like this. Pride looks like appearing brash because you are too afraid of being unheard, competing for control because you just want security withholding meaningful words because you're afraid to be vulnerable, not asking for help because you don't want to look weak, responding defensively because you don't want to get hurt, not saying you're sorry because you don't want to confess where you're wrong, pretending like you have all the answers and you know how to win the game because if you admit you don't have those answers, you might just fall apart. And for me, sometimes my pride looks like trying to blame someone else or hide my shortcomings because I am so desperately afraid of appearing like a failure. Proverbs has a lot to say about our pride. And it, again, pride might help you win if you think this is all a board game. But the bottom line Proverbs is trying to teach us is that your pride is never going to lead you to a place you actually want to go. Where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in taking good advice. The Lord detests the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. <laughs> Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. An inflated sense of pride is not going to help you make life work. It's going to wreck it. If envy is robbing you of your joy, then pride is rotting your soul. You're never going to find peace you're longing for. Because ultimately what pride does is it tries to put us in God's seat. That's what we see happening from the beginning of Scripture, the very first pages of God's story. Remember, all is good, and it's designed with that perfect peace, that shalom, harmony in the garden. But Satan tips Adam and Eve and says, eat this and you will be like God. And it opens the door for brokenness and sin to take root, influencing all of humanity, not to just want to be like God, but to be God of their own making for their own purposes. And following the arc of scripture and God's redeeming story for the world, he sets apart the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, and says, you're gonna be a light to the nations. I want you to show everyone what it looks like to pursue justice and to pursue righteousness, what it looks like to love one another until the promised Messiah, Jesus, comes and so God gives 10 commandments and says, live this way so others may see my love through you. And they go like this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form of anything from heaven or the earth or the waters below, and you should not bow down and worship them. They continue and say, do not misuse God's name. Honor your, the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not commit adultery. And don't covet anything your neighbor has. You know what all these commandments have in common? The foundational truth that all of these are trying to portray, it's there is a God and you are not it. How often do we think we are the gods and God is not? But no, 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 there is a God and it is not me and it is not you. 
And our God wants us to help make life work, to have goodness and love and light and that true joy and peace we are longing for, to live a life that is flourishing, that finds the true shalom that he designed. But pride stands away in the way of all of those things. Pride stands in opposition to those commandments. We don't get to be the godlike figures we want to be in our life. It's an endless pursuit of chasing that success and that status and security, thinking that's the secret to joy, that's the secret to peace I'm longing for, that's how you win the game, but it's an endless pursuit that's just gonna leave us with more unfulfilled longings. The path of pride leads to destruction. And if pride comes before the fall, then that's a fall to a really lonely place. You see, pride has the power to create wedges between you and the people you love. It's always going to choose being right over being kind. Prideful people don't know how to say they're sorry. And if you never say you're sorry, gosh, you just break someone's spirit. How is someone ever supposed to know you care about them? Prideful people are never going to ask for help because they already got the game of life figured out. They already know how to win, but that's just childish ignorance that stops us from maturing into who God really wants us to be. Prideful people are never going to be vulnerable, which is the only path to true love and healing. And trying to make that type of life work will just create chasms of despair and push people away, which might just be okay if you think this is all a game to be won. But life is way too precious and fleeting to live that way. So what do we do with our pride? It comes back to our identity. What do we believe about ourselves? A healthy sense of who you are is good. It's that distorted sense that gets us into trouble. And Henry Nouwen points out the three most common traps of identity we tend to fall into, and ironically, they're the same three markers of winning in the board game of life. It's your success and your status and your security. Again, these aren't my words. We've been chasing them since the beginning of time. He says we find value in I am what I do. That's my success. Finding my identity and what other people say about me, my status, and what I have, my security. I am what I do, I am what others say about me, and I am what I have. We strive after all of these things, don't we? We try to find our worth here. This is how we think we win the game, but that pursuit is just masking a bigger problem. It's actually a self-rejection of who we really are. And self-rejection is manifesting itself as our pride and our envy, and it's the foolishness Proverbs is warning us about because these things do not lead to joy and peace. And they don't help us fulfill the calling Jesus has for us. Friends, we are not what we do. We are not what other people say we are. And we are not the things we have or don't have. And if pride is an identity issue, we got to know who we are. And we are beloved children of God. We're beloved children of God. You are and I am. We are bought with a price. We are holy and dearly and deeply loved. Life is not a game you have to win. 
There's nothing you have to prove to anyone, no pot of cash that's gonna put you in first place, no parent you still have to make proud, no forgiveness you have to earn, no polished image you have to project online. And if it's actually harmful, if I have an inflated sense of pride that finds my value in what I do or what others say about me or what I have, then the antidote might actually just be taking a healthy pride and finding value in what God has given me to do, a mission and a purpose, what God says about me, that we are his beloved children, what God has given me, like his love and forgiveness. God has all given us a mission and a purpose and different gifts to fulfill his mission and purpose in our life. And what God says about us is that we are his beloved child. We've been bought with a price. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has given us love and forgiveness, and healing from heartbreak, freedom from addiction, hope for eternity, a life that is truly life. And absolutely none of these things are because we earned them or won them. It's what unconditional love of the cosmos creator looks like. So combating pride starts there, believing that, and then following the example of Jesus's humility, which Paul paints a beautiful picture of in Philippians chapter two. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. He was the very nature of God, but he didn't consider equality with God to be used to his own advantages. He made himself nothing instead. He actually took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. He appeared just like a man. He was a man, fully God and fully human, and he humbled himself. He lived a humble, selfless, obedient life, obedient even to death death on a cross. And therefore God God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above all name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is the son of the living God and all glory and praise be to our father. And humility is what makes way for God's perfect peace to be real for us. It's humility. If pride and envy are the best friends that want to wreck our life by tricking us into thinking it's just a game to be won, gratitude and humility are the best friends that want to show us that there's so much more to life when we trust and follow the way of Jesus. The way to make life work is to surrender to Jesus' wisdom, defeating envy and pride by exchanging them for joy and peace through the practices of gratitude and humility. Remembering life is not a game to be won a competition to be fought. It's a beautiful gift to be stewarded well and ultimately surrendered to the greatest purposes we are called to, loving God with all we are and loving our neighbor as ourself. And living that type of life gives us a foretaste to the beautiful union of heaven fully meeting earth for all of eternity and it's already started now. So love your neighbor. Don't be envious of them. Don't see people as a threat. Stop playing the comparison game. You're never going to win because it's not a competition to begin with. You can choose compassion. You can choose gratitude. You can receive the gift of joy and then share it with those around you. Your unhealthy and inflated sense of pride is not your friend. Get rid of it. It's okay to be vulnerable. There is nothing you have to prove, no score you have to settle. You're not what you do, how others see you, or even the things you have. You're a beloved child of God. You can rest in his perfect peace and then be an instrument of peace to those around you. 
And we can seek together to love Jesus with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength because he is good and he is great. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and he wants to help us make life work. Choose the way of the wise. Let gratitude and humility pave the way for more joy and peace in your heart. Maybe you'll join me this week as I make two lists. A list of all the places where envy is threatening to rot your bones. You know those places. Write them down. And in the second list, name all the things you're thankful for. A gratitude list. Maybe even intentionally try to celebrate someone else's good news. Then practice humility. Think of others. Swallow your pride. Say you're sorry. Ask for help. Be less defensive slower to speak, and let us learn together to be content with who we are and what we have, and maybe even more importantly, whose we are and what God has given us to do. You pray with me. Holy Spirit, thank you for the peace and joy that is possible in and through Christ Jesus. We don't want envy to rot our bones and pride to wreck our souls, so God, open our eyes Soften our hearts, hear our prayers as we seek gratitude and humility. Lord, help us love and live more like you. Amen.